ultimately for me, running provides me with that opportunity to slow my mind down and sometimes to get really clear on what's important to me. Some of my best ideas and my best thinking comes to me when I am out on the trails. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't be the man that I am today without running in my life. Hello and welcome to Run the Business, the podcast that explores the place where running and leadership come together. We'll find out how running might help us with leading, managing people and generally being better in business. We'll also try and answer that question, do runners make better leaders? I'm Anthony Gay and today I'm joined by a CEO who is a business coach and an author who works exclusively with professional men. He believes that the existing belief and mantra of masculinity is toxic and men are suffering as a result. Uh, he had his own midlife crisis in 2017, which spurred him to reevaluate how he lived his life. And I'm sure we'll talk about his book as well. Uh, Rethinking Masculinity, A Modern Man's Guide to Succeeding in Life. Dan Stanley, welcome to Run the Business. Thank you, Ant. Thank you for having me on. How are you today, Dan? I'm very well. And uh, obviously, because of the nature of our conversations today, I started my day with a trail run. And uh, I, I find that always helps set me up for the day. And tell us about where you are in the world and what kind of run you did this morning. Yeah, so I live in a, in a fantastic location. It's a bit of a hidden gem. And uh, that is Swansea on the on the south coast in Wales. We, are, we have access to the beaches and to the mountains and, uh, and for an up-and-coming city, the house prices are very reasonable. And I live on the, the west side of Swansea, which is just on the doorstep of the Gower Peninsula, which was one of the first areas in the UK to be awarded a Natural Outstanding Beauty Award. So, uh, yeah, I feel very fortunate to live where I do. Sounds like a lovely part of the world to run. Uh, to begin with... Tell us a little bit about your business. And I know you describe your intention uh, in what you do uh, and help us understand more about this, um, you know, th this project that you've got going on. Yeah, sure. And I'll keep this fairly succinct for your listeners so we can kind of dive into to, to the meat of the, the running elements. But in 2017, I was a man doing well on paper. You know, I was a, a retired award-winning army commando, a national sporting champion, successful business owner, married to a beautiful woman and a first-time father. But the reality was that my success was superficial. And uh, I was secretly trapped inside what was a busy, anxious mind, constantly critical of myself and chastising um, all of my achievements and highlighting my fears of the future. And I didn't recognize it at the time, but I spiraled into what's commonly referred to as a midlife crisis. And uh, instead of uh, opening up and talking about my experiences, um, maybe partly due to my gender conditioning and probably that of lots of other men of my generation, I tried to man up and tried to kind of just force my way through what was uh, not an external problem, but an internal issue. And it essentially was a, a perfect storm. And uh, I, what I realized in that time was that I probably spent the best part of my life trying to prove my worth through external successes. And I, I'd done a really great job of it. But uh, in 2017, it was an Einstein quote. He said that adversity introduces a man to himself. And that's certainly what I found. And uh, based off my experience of my midlife crisis and kind of what I learned about myself and perhaps modern day masculinity in that space, um, I kind of came to the conclusion that what we were taught as men um, isn't necessarily fit for purpose in today's digital age. And uh, uh, although I don't believe that masculinity is toxic, I do think it's dysfunctional and with such a high priority placed on our capacity to work and our self-worth often coming from, from who we are in our world of work. I think that it leads to what I call in my book, the top five challenges of men, um, workaholism, loneliness, poor mental health, 
midlife crisis and uh, at the extreme end for, for men that kind of don't deal with this in a, in a positive and proactive way, potentially divorce. So, uh, yeah, I've been on a real journey over the last uh, four to five years. It's been one that is kind of being at times turbulent, but it's also been transformational for me. And four years ago, I set up my business, Better Men, and uh, now I hold and create the space for, for good men to live better lives. Typically, my client base are business owners or corporate leaders that are in high-pressure roles. They've gotten to a stage of their lives where, despite their external successes, uh, they have questions that maybe they can't answer or they have fears around their future. And uh, they're looking to, to be proactive about creating some positive change. And you mentioned... You know, 2017, a big year for you in, in where the change kicked in. How did you sort of channel that into a business? Uh, when did you think the realization that you came to was something that you could actually turn into your, you know, your career? Yeah. And so um, my wife and I joined my midlife crisis. We separated for a period of eight months. And um, when we decided to rebuild a new marriage, one of the things that we did rather naively was that we went on a holiday to Maldives. And uh, our, our in, in initial intention was to go to the Maldives, the Indian Ocean, to kind of spend a, uh, you know, a week together without our daughter, just myself and my wife, and to come back happily married and kind of leave all of our marital baggage um, back in the Indian Ocean. And, and whilst it didn't happen in that way, there was a moment of real serendipity, sliding doors perhaps. And um, I'm an avid reader. And at the time, I was reading a book called Legacy about the culture and psychology of the All Blacks and what made them so successful as a sporting team. And uh, a few sun loungers down on this like sort of white sandy beach, uh, looking out over the sort of turquoise water of the Maldives, there was a guy reading Steve Peters' Chimp Paradox. And uh, jokingly, he after a few days, he kind of got my attention. And he said that we must be the only two men in the Maldives reading self-help books. What's your story? And uh, this particular guy was quite persistent. I couldn't bat him away with any kind of humor. And uh, a few moments later, we, we met with a beer on the beach and uh, I didn't recognize him. And he, but it turns out he was a ex-premiership footballer, played for one of the big London clubs in the, in the, in the late 1990s. And uh, the typical trappings of success, perhaps, that you'd expect with a, with a sort of a, a athlete, a footballer, um, sports car, apartment, penthouse, sort of models. And uh, he went on to explain how... He had gone from kind of this affluent lifestyle to having two knee operations, which hadn't worked, which cost him his career. And how, because he didn't deal with his change in identity, how he'd spiraled into, into addiction of prostitutes and drugs and alcohol. And uh, I'm listening to a, a guy, of, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a few years older than me at the time, but listening to a guy talk with such expressiveness and emotion about his life's journey. I'd never experienced that in the whole of my life. And I'd never, because I'd never experienced it, I didn't know that men were capable of speaking with such such emotion and uh, he said to me these words and they changed the whole direction of my life and which led me fundamentally to starting my business he said the only difference between a grave and a rut is the depth and I realized that having kind of come through this mental health crisis and midlife crisis that I needed to make some fundamental changes in my life and I walked back across the beach to my wife who was reading a magazine at the time and I said when we get home I'm going to shut my business down and she sort of looked up and gave me a smile and didn't really speak about it um, which was probably the best thing is exactly what I needed at the time because I, I didn't know quite what that was going to look like but on the connecting flight from Dubai back to Heathrow I wrote an exit plan for my business and six weeks later I shut it down and I took eight months out of my life to to become really clear to get to gain that level of clarity that probably most people, men and women, lack in their lives about who I wanted to be in my future, what was important to me, and how I'd achieve it. And one of the things that kind of came to 
to my attention was the dysfunction of modern day masculinity and how the gender conditioning that lots of boys receive in their formative years kind of in a way sets them up to fail, particularly in the second half of their life when they've kind of ticked all of life's boxes and they played by the rules where they've kind of gone through academia or they've started a business. They've bought a house, they've had 2.4 children, perhaps they've got a, a Labrador or a Spaniel like me. Um, but nevertheless, there's kind of something missing, particularly in that second half of life. And, uh, and essentially, that's what I've done over the last four years. I've worked with over 100 men now, one-to-one. Um, I run small group courses. I've written a book. It's went straight to the top of the Amazon bestseller charts. Uh, and outside of my coaching practice, I also run a community project called Men and Mountains, of which now there's more than 350 men from across the UK that are like-minded in the sense that they are professionally successful, either as corporate leaders or business owners, but they recognize that they give so much and perhaps too much of their time and their effort and their energy to their careers and their businesses that it's important to make time and space for themselves so we meet we walk and we talk usually one sunday a month typically in the brecon beacons but we've also been across to yorkshire and to snowdonia we've been out to the alps and um it's a it's a really great community to be a part of loads of stuff there to for us to dig into and talk more about um you mentioned your wife and i kind of want to sort of just touch upon uh, the female listeners to this this podcast, uh, you know, what role did she play in the change? And and w- women listening to this, what are they going to get out of the next forty five minutes? Yeah, I think the women listening to this fundamentally are going to have a probably a greater insight to why the men, whether they're loved ones or colleagues or people that are in your community, think, feel, and act the way that they do. Um, interestingly, I've had a, a lot of comment from HR directors that recognise that. The, the field in which I work in the area, and particularly the, the, the direction of the book, is particularly useful because often uh, a lot of books or literature, literature around men will come from either how to be successful or how to overcome kind of mental health challenges. But the reality is that there's that kind of a void in the middle where you've got guys that are you know successful on paper, but maybe they're not enjoying the lives that they've built, which for a lot of men, because of the, maybe the shame around how do they put their hand up and talk about some of the issues they're experiencing, particularly with so many social issues now having a lot of attention that in many cases I think a lot of men perhaps feel as though they don't have a voice so yeah that's the, the answer to, to, to maybe that side but to, from 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 my own experience my wife Rachel you know she has been somebody that enabled me to have the space that I've needed to become the man that I am today and uh you know, when I was in the the midst of uh, an identity crisis, not really knowing who I was, uh, my wife, you know, she was supportive. And I actually dedicated my book to my wife and my children for standing by my side to have been strong when I had no strength left. Um, to my beautiful children, Sophia, who will be six in December, and Spencer, who's now three and a half, for being the catalyst for all that I am today. And when you look back on the you in 2017 and the you now uh, compared to where you're at how does that make you feel i feel fortunate that i have been one of the men that has transferred from perhaps adversity into enabled the adversity i experienced to, to create who i am today and i also feel immensely proud as well and um i'm not championing what was perhaps an old definition of masculinity i'm inviting masculinity to mature and i think that because of the way that we're taught to kind of be strong and be silent and be successful you know i really feel that now with the the way that the world has changed and moved on that the blueprint the narrative about masculinity is 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 a narrow construct and one that's built on foundations of sand so i'm immensely proud that i can voice my opinions and my experiences and share the successes of my clients 
you know, both on LinkedIn and through my book uh, and through other media, and all in the hope of encouraging governments to recognize that kind of what got them here might not get them there. And despite the successes that they have, if they're superficial, then they're never going to kind of have that feeling of fulfillment and, and, and pride that they probably feel that like they lack. Because mm. you did mention that, I mean, it can be fatal, can't it? This this uh, This position that men get themselves into if they don't share where they're at, don't talk to people, don't address this. Um, I think you yourself mentioned that suicide is such a big killer in, in men under 50, isn't it? It's the biggest killer. You know, the greatest risk to a man's life between the ages of 40 and 50 is himself. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a real travesty, but I think it's uh, an outcome of the conditioning that we that we all experience. You know, if you think back to kind of the societal conditioning, the, the kind of conditioning in school and media and parental conditioning, it kind of means that we have to fit into this 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 narrow window of, of traits to be classed as a successful male. And, uh, you know, I really feel it in many respects, if you don't fit into, into exactly into that bracket of, of what people expect you to be, then it can create a sense of isolation and shame and inadequacy. And unless there's a conversation and a place to have safe dialogue where people feel able to kind of talk and converse about their experiences that might not be the norm, you know, in many cases, men just choose not to talk. And it's, it's that kind of, I suppose, cliche of, of manning up and not opening up mm. that in, in many respects costs lots of men, not just their lives through the ultimate kind of, you know, the ultimate um through suicide mm. but in many respects it costs men the relationships with their wives and their children in some cases their businesses too so i, I want to switch gears and i think we'll come back to this but i want to switch gears into running um and and talk about how that fits into your life this podcast is obviously all about how running might help people in business and leadership tell me about how running fits into your life and how it helps you be better in what you do running has always played a a role in my life and it's been woven through the fabric of probably the last in in many respects 30 years and i, I was always quite big for my age so uh i was um brought up in a, in a in a northern town so rugby league was my sport growing up but um i remember my PE teacher chucking me into um, a county cross-country run and uh i, I all of a sudden, I kind of finished in the top 10, which, you know, for, for a big rugby playing strong lad, wasn't necessarily expected. And um, and that's kind of when I first took an interest in running. It's something that kind of gave me the the, the space and capacity to to kind of express myself, to, to run with freedom and to go wherever I kind of wanted and, and, and chose to go. And, uh, and then when I joined the military, you know, in, in many respects, a, a person's fitness is decided by their ability to, to run across a distance of a mile and a half in, in the fastest possible time. And uh, a lot of a lot of kudos and social worth is put on people's fitness based on their ability to run. So that's kind of always been kind of in my life. And then when I moved across from the military into commando forces, kind of running was was just something you did. You ran everywhere, <laughs> particularly during commander phase of commando training. You know, you'd be running around camp, you'd be running across sand dunes, you'd be running across Dartmoor and the Brecon Beacons. And uh, and having a natural aptitude for it definitely helped. But when I left the military uh, at the time, it was 2012, it was quite hard for me to accept the, the kind of standard that I'd been running at um, for pretty much, you know, pretty much over a decade, I was no longer able to achieve. And uh, I actually took a, a bit of a, a bit of a respite from running. Um, I didn't run for 
probably two years. Uh, I cycled and I swam instead, but running because of um, you know modern day metrics with uh, GPS watches and uh, apps like Strava. Uh, I was looking at my times and probably from an egotistical perspective, because I wasn't where I used to be, uh, I chose just not to participate in it. And then, uh, and then probably about four years ago, a good friend of mine was training for the Marathon de Sabla and um, he knew that I basically managed my own diary and I was a little bit kind of adventurous in terms of how I like to explore uh, the kind of local landscapes. So uh, he said, uh, you know, I need to, I need to, I need to run a marathon uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, do you fancy joining me? And uh, very quickly, my brain engaged. And I kind of came up with a hatch this plan that, well, there's a bus stop outside my house. If we get on a bus and we head out to the edge of the Gower Peninsula to a place called Worm's Head or Rasili Beach, uh, from Rasili back to my house is exactly 26.2 miles. And, uh, and that's what we did. We got on a bus. And, uh, and my friend taught me essentially how to run trails and that removed the, the, the egoic side of running for me because we, we, we ran the flats, we walked the uphills and we, we, we run down the, the downhills and they kind of got home sort of five and a half hours later after about 26 and a half miles with a few navigation errors and about two and a half thousand feet elevation and a, and a seed was planted. I realized and rekindled that I could love running again. And, uh, yeah, over the last four years, I haven't looked back. And the endurance that you talked about when you were in the military, how does that, how has that transferred into your sort of running in later life? And also from a business perspective, what, you know, how has that helped you be the person that you are now? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of my philosophies that I, that I live from is that consistency beats intensity. And, uh, and I think that is applicable in business, in running. And, uh, and I think it probably was the military that taught me that, particularly with commando forces, the, the, you know, the, the, they're known for being resilient and robust. And the only way you can be resilient and robust is by having consistent practices. And there's a theme of that about never, never getting bored of the basics. So one thing that I've always done, particularly if I'm running for long periods and endurance as a factor, is that I am particularly diligent around my my hydration and my nutrition levels because I recognize that if I don't do the, the things that are perhaps basic uh, and at times boring, I know that my body will run out of energy and, uh, and essentially I'll have to slow down. That's the same for business. When I kind of stepped into a, a space uh, in coaching, you know, it's it's in many respects it's an unregulated in, uh, industry, so it's a low bar to entry, but it's a very high bar to success. And um, for four years later, to have amassed um, a, a following and, a, and people who take interest in in what it is I have to say. You know, I have made sure that I've been consistent. Um, LinkedIn, out of interest, uh, you get an annual report each year from LinkedIn. And in 2020, I think I posted something like 282 days out of 365. Uh, and that level of consistency, that prolific consistency, is probably what enabled me to, to generate enough of a, a profile and following to to deem it as suitable to write a book. I think you've, you've, you've touched upon something really important there. And it's so kind of obvious and it's it's it sounds so simple when you say it but it, it's it's like a muscle isn't it that if you continue to exercise it and work it and you get into that habit of doing that thing it becomes who you are and you can you, you can make something from there uh, so many people have said that same thing as is, is, is what you've touched upon there in that if you just do it if you're consistent in doing it then the success and the uh, you know result will follow it sounds like you've just you, you've nailed it 
Yeah, it's um, it's it's as simple as those three words, and I remind myself of them at least at least weekly. That consistency beats intensity, uh, and when I look back across uh, my my recent successes, you know, none of them are have been overnight. You know, it took me nearly a year to, to write my book, and uh, you know, fifty thousand words essentially on paper. It's not a social media post. It's not something that's going to be forgotten about anytime soon. You know, there's a there's a longevity and a legacy piece around around writing a book, and you know, sitting down in my attic office where. I am now recording this, you know, recognizing that consistency beats intensity and just sticking to to my plan really helped me move things forward. And uh, one of the things that running has definitely taught me, probably because of my 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 mindset in the way that, that I was perhaps, um, you know, I conditioned myself to be. I was very much all or nothing. I was either all into everything I was doing. I was all, I was all out. And, uh, and now something that definitely helps me and I hope helps your listeners is to have an attitude of all or something. And uh, I applied that to writing my book and, and now I apply it to running. You know, as an example, my wife this morning, she was having to leave the house at 7 a.m. To, to go to London. And, uh, so that meant I only really had about 40 minutes to run this morning. But in the in the spirit of all or something, uh, I put my head torch on, I got my, my earphones in, uh, and off I went with my trail shoes on for a muddy and wet run across uh, some of the trails in the woods at the back of the house and up onto the onto the Gower Common. And uh, if I hadn't done that this morning, then, you know, I probably wouldn't feel as energized and in such uh, an energetic state as I am now. Absolutely. I did the same thing this morning as well. Head, head torch in winter, it's the only way to go, isn't it, early in the morning? Yeah. Um, are, are there any specific examples uh, that you can think of when a, a run or running has, has taught you a lesson or has given you something that you've then transferred into your work? Yes, and um, 2021. It was a, uh, a crisp winter afternoon and uh, my daughter at the time, she was uh, she was four. She was just learning to ride her bike. And uh, myself and my family, um, this is uh, all COVID uh, allowed. We, we met on the, the, the waterfront in Swansea and my, my father-in-law was teaching my daughter to kind of cycle her bike without the stabilizers on. And uh, she, she's, she's got a real athletic aptitude and she picked it up very quickly. But uh, about half an hour later, after my father-in-law kind of cycling around uh, the, the beachfront in Swansea, on his way home, he had a heart attack. And uh, despite everyone's best efforts, paramedics and the air ambulance, no one could bring him back. And uh, and in that moment, the whole trajectory of our family and our lives changed. He was a man that we loved. And I recognised very quickly because of my empathy and my need to support my family that I was going to get pulled into everybody else's lives. And, you know, not without, without wanting to sound callous, I recognised that if I was trying to be everything to everybody else, then the chances are that I'd neglect myself. So after a few weeks of, of supporting my mother-in-law and my family and kind of being consistent in my business practice and providing the space for my clients, I realised that I needed something for myself. Uh, and it had to be significant, otherwise it wouldn't get my interest. So I signed up for the Beacons Way 100, which is an ultra run. It's, uh, at the time, the route was 107 miles from east to west Brecon pretty much covering all of the highest points and across the course of the 107 miles. The, the route that I went was about 19,000 feet of elevation. So, uh, so yeah, I kind of, because of that, my name being on that start line and wanting to, to create the space that I felt that I needed, not just mentally, uh, but physically and emotionally as well to kind of to process and um, move through the, 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 the pain of bereavement. 
I took every Thursday off for around four months. And on those Thursdays, I would have jumped on to Garmin Connect and I would have found a route with heat maps, uh, whether that was out on the Gower, uh, along the coastal paths or up in the mountains in, in the Brecon Beacons. Uh, and every Thursday for that time period, I would go off um, and just, just run. And that sense of freedom and that sense of adventure enabled me to become the best version of myself for all of the people that were reliant on me and needed my support, but also for myself. And uh, yeah, if you want me to tell you about my experience across 107 miles, I'm very happy to do it, but uh, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> How did you feel when you crossed the finish line? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, being ex-military and coming from a commando background and kind of always preparing, perhaps over-preparing in some cases, um, I, I didn't really have any concerns standing on the start line. Uh, about six weeks before, um, across two days, I'd run about 70 miles um, we're, we're without any issue. In fact, I'd enjoyed both days. The first day was a 50-miler. The second day was uh, it was about 24, 26 miles. So uh, I felt very strong standing on the start line, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And uh, I knew how to take good go of my feet, how to, to support my body through nutrition uh, and I also found I had the mental resilience to kind of really push on um, but um, it was um, you know it was on the back of Covid and the organisers they had uh, made a change to a, the route because of a bridge collapse and then one of the checkpoints had been taken out because of um, a Covid complication and uh, there was a, a guy running with me he kind of attached himself to me and my running buddy and uh, yeah he essentially ran out of water so I shared my pure purity taps. I was carrying them in my sort of safety kit. So if I ran out of water, I could kind of recondition some some dirty water into drinkable water and, and carry on. So I gave him my purity taps, and uh, and as the sun rose on the second day, by this point, kind of there were maybe seventy to eighty miles in, kind of running through the night without sleep. Um, I ran out of water, and as the day got warmer and hotter, I, I started to slip into into heat exhaustion, and. Uh, yeah, the last marathon at the end of uh, the, the Beacons Way 100 for me took probably around about eight hours. And uh, I was on for about a 32-hour finish time, and that slipped out to around about 36 and a half hours. And uh, when I crossed the finish line, uh, there was a, a sense of elation. Uh, and also, uh, just, uh, yeah, <laughs> there was a, a real sense of just being glad to cross over that line because I'm bloody sick of running. And the, the the experience, all of the training, uh, I'd fully enjoyed. But the event itself, you know, just uh, the, my, the way that my kind of body just felt mentally and physically and, and, and in some respects emotionally, I was just really glad to get across the line. And when I got there, I had two children that are kind of jumping and clambering all over me and were kind of, you know, well done, daddy, not necessarily uh, understanding the enormity of the challenge. And uh, so I went from running nonstop for kind of 36 and a half hours to straight into dad mode, which was uh, which was an interesting experience. I can hear in your voice then, you were there back in that moment crossing the finish line. I could, I could hear the relief uh, that, yeah. that, that, that was in your voice then. And something that, uh, you know, we talk about on this podcast uh, is, is, um, is is reflecting on achievements and, and reflecting on adversity and when things don't go quite right, whether that's in running or in business. What's your process for, uh, as I say, reflecting, getting feedback from your experiences? How, how do you kind of analyse that and then use it to be better going forward? What's your approach? Yeah, I, I truly believe Ant, that the, the most important story in the world is our own. And the narrative that we have both in the moment and after an experience really dictates the way that we, that we feel about what we've experienced. And also at the same time, kind of the way that we then explain that to others. Uh, and if we don't come at that from a positive perspective, in many cases, we don't get the opportunity to learn the lessons that we've uh, perhaps encountered. 
and uh, relating back to the Beacons Way 100, kind of, I don't know, 83, 86 miles in. I know exactly where it was. It was on the side of a place called Klinnevan Vach, across in the Brecon Beacons, which is a beautiful area. The, the sun was rising at about four o'clock in the morning, and uh, I had tears running down my face. Um, and uh, they were a combination of tears of pain, but also of relief because having been through what I would describe as a mental health crisis, um, I perhaps subconsciously doubted my my resilience. Uh, and in that moment, I recognized on the side of that mountain with the sun rising behind me and the tears running down my cheeks that no matter what came up again in my life, I would never consider, um, never question my resilience. And I always knew that if it was important to me, then I would get the job done. And uh, kind of being able to reflect on that as a, as, a, as a moment, some people, perhaps from an old version of masculinity, might see, you know, someone talking about having cheeks running down and tears running down their cheeks and, uh, you know, the, the, the emotiveness of, of what is I'm showing here. They might see that as weakness. But for me, it's true strength to be able to connect to yourself, perhaps emotionally and spiritually, and to understand that, you know, we are... We are who we tell ourselves that we are. And if we don't learn from our experiences, then, you know, it's a Muhammad Ali quote. He said, you know, it's uh, the man that sees the world the same as 50 as he did at 20. He's wasted 30 years of his life. And uh, I'm really grateful for my ability to reflect. And, uh, and it's actually something I do every week. Uh, at some point across a Saturday or a Sunday, my wife is very tolerant and she understands that it's important to me. I sit down and I take myself through a reflection exercise and it's something that I show all my clients. And you mentioned then in terms of... Uh you know, something you rigidly do and, and structure to your uh, to, to your days, to your weeks. Am I right in thinking you have um, routines that you repeat each week, like tech-free days where you, you quite um, rigidly make sure there's no technology in the house or for an evening? And, and, and tell me a little bit about that and how important it is for, for you to have those moments away from technology and moments with yourself. Yeah. Um, coming from a military background, you know, I used to place a high value on structure and discipline. But what I recognized was actually the rigidity of the way that I had constructed my life it actually meant that I didn't have any any scope to be flexible. Uh, and when the pressures of life are kind of pushing against you, whether that's from a business perspective or, um, you know, a personal perspective, if there's no flexibility, something's going to break. And inevitably, it's, it's ourselves. So, uh, so now, yeah, I do have a, I have some structure around the way that I live my life, but there's definitely a degree of flexibility to that. And, uh, yeah, we have typically my, myself and my wife will have tech free Tuesdays. So on a, on a Tuesday evening, we will choose not to, to put any, any tech on in the house, whether that's phones or, or televisions. Um, we will usually have a, a hot tub a hot tub point at some point between Thursday and a Sunday. And uh, with the children now, because of their ages, when we pick them up from school on Friday afternoon, we have fun Fridays. So the the reason that those points are in, in mine and my wife's lives is that because we're both business owners, there's definitely a temptation to, to fill our time with things that come from a business interest, which are often urgent but not necessarily important in the in the scope of our lives and who we want to be as we live. So uh, yeah, there's definitely a degree of structure, but also there's an element of flexibility to that. And uh you know, I, I really believe that for me, that's where running has a, a key part in my life now. You know, when I run in the mornings, it's my morning routine. It's, you know, it's not one of these things that you'd see on social media where you have to take a cold shower and do breath work and journal and something's going to take you two hours. You know, it's, it's highly practical in that, you know, I will get out of bed in the morning, usually around 5.15 to 5.30. Uh, I'm quite partial to a cold coffee. So the night before, I'll put a coffee in the fridge. I'll have a quick coffee. And some mornings I'll run with headphones. Some mornings I won't. 
Um, some mornings I have a, a chap that joins me and um, he's, um, he's somebody that can't necessarily afford to work with me as a client basis, but I mentor him and he's a runner as well. So we'll go off and we'll explore the trails together and have real meaningful conversations. But ultimately for me, running provides me with that opportunity to to slow my mind down and sometimes to get really clear on what's important to me. And the, the phrase I attribute to this and is defocused attention. Some of my best ideas and my best thinking comes to me when I am out on the trails, when I'm kind of in the, you know, I suppose it's a slightly platitudinal statement, but when I'm in flow, when I'm just kind of dancing across the puddles or avoiding those like ankle snapping tree branches that crisscross the tracks, running up a hill or down a sandbank. Yeah, being in that state for me is often when I do my best thinking. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't be the man that I am today without running in my life. Dan, you obviously inspire a lot of people um, through your work and, and through what you're doing. Who inspires you? Who, who inspires you in, in business and leadership? Great question. Uh, my wife. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she failed academically at college. And uh, when her friends went off to university, she set up her own business. And uh, at the time I was in the military and I was kind of pushing on and kind of throw myself into everything that enabled me to be promoted ahead of my peers. <clears throat> and at the same time, my wife was growing her business. Uh, and between the two of us, you know, people were flippantly joking, saying we're a power couple. But what, I think what we are is a couple of a real deep sense of connection and understanding about what's important to each other. So I find my wife hugely aspirational because over the last 16 years, she, she's built a multi-million pound business uh, from scratch organically without additional financial support and, and mostly through hard work and the mentorship of, of good quality people. So my wife's definitely an inspiration. And uh, yeah, and as are my clients, you know, working with men day in, day out that get to a stage of their lives where they have all the, all the, all the kind of societal success symbols that they're meant to have, but then choose to to re reframe their lives and to create a life that is full of meaning and purpose and fulfillment. You know, I find all of my clients hugely inspirational and, you know, it's a bit of a, a bit of a flippant comment perhaps, but the, 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 there's a Buddhist phrase that the teacher learns the most. And in some respects, I'm holding the space for these men to make sense of their lives. But in the process, I'm also learning about mine. And uh, yeah, I'm very clear about who I am and who I will become in my future and how I will bridge the gap between where I am now and where I want to be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years time. Is there somebody in running that inspires you? Is, is, you know, is, is there a figure that has pushed you to do more in running? Is, is that a thing for you? Um, not necessarily in running, but when I when I did kind of step into trail running, I, I'd found myself kind of um, watching lots of YouTube of, of, of trail runners and sort of Killian Jornet and uh, and people doing backyard ultras and uh, all these kind of crazy challenges. Uh, and I found it I found it hugely inspirational that that people were choosing to to take part in events that were going to challenge them to in many cases beyond their limits and. Uh, yeah, I went to listen actually to Ben Fogel speak and uh, yeah, his adventures, you know, he's done exceptional things in his life. And um, something that Ben said really helped me change my relationship with fitness and perhaps have a, a better, healthier relationship with fitness. Because for a lot of my life, I'd used fitness as a, as a way to gain external validation, whether that be kind of running or cycling, um, a cycling event, just to put things into context. I don't think it's ever, it's, it's never been done and I don't think it will be again in the future. But um, myself and a team of cyclists, I was a road captain. We cycled from Cardiff to London to Edinburgh to Belfast to Dublin and back to Cardiff in six days. It was around the capital cities of the UK and Ireland. And uh, so that was kind of like the, the level that I was operating at. Uh, when I started rowing, uh, albeit indoor, 
it was off the back of an, an Achilles injury. And my physio at the time said, you know, you can either swim and not kick or you can row and keep your feet planted. So straight away, I bought myself a Concept2 row machine and uh, I invested in a coach. Uh, and off I went to a point of getting to a 2K time of I think my PB was something like six minutes and six seconds, which is exceptionally fast. Um, but uh, Ben Fogel on this stage in, in the Grand Theatre at Swansea, he spoke about how he had capsized in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean whilst rowing with James Cracknell. And, uh, in the, you know, sort of like waves the size of houses and the darkness mm -hmm. and the roar of the ocean. He was he was looking to hit the Mayday button, which would mean at some point they would perhaps get rescued. Uh, and over the roar of the ocean, he heard Cracknell shouting and screaming, saying, don't you press that effing button. And uh, he realised in that moment, Ben Fogel did, that, you know, he wasn't a, a, a true competitor in, in in that sense of the word and he spoke about how becoming a father and that experience combined enabled him to go from a place of needing to complete events for perhaps self-worth and external validation to wanting to complete them for his own life journey and his own pride and uh, and that's very much now how i look at that kind of any physical events that i that i stand on the start line for it's not necessarily about trying to win or trying to compete it's very much about the experience including the training beforehand you, you touched a little bit on your book at the beginning, um, uh, Rethinking Masculinity, A Modern Man's Guide to Succeeding in Life, and mentioned some of the themes that are in the book. Talking is something that is so important, isn't it? And uh, running and the running community is, uh, it, it's, it's an interesting place because everybody who runs and runs uh, in races and events and things, it always talks about this sort of spirit and the community vibe that you get at these running events. Business isn't always like that in terms of people being open and saying how they're feeling and, and how, what they think about what's going on in the business. So how do you approach that in, you know, through the book and through the work with the leaders and, and the people that you work with? How do you encourage people to open up and, and talk more? What, 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 are the, what are the secrets for that? There's a misconception that men and in some respects kind of high powered ladies as well as, you know, they can't speak or there's a reluctance to do so. Man. And I don't feel that that's correct. I think what people need is to, to have the kind of the safety and to recognize the person that they're sharing their experience of life with isn't going to judge or isn't going to kind of maybe try to fix them. And uh, from my experience, particularly the walking group that I facilitate, Men and Mountains, you know, when we meet on a, on a, usually because we're in Brecon Beacons most of the time on a wet and a windy Sunday morning, you know, men travel from all over the UK, from London, from the South Coast, from the, the Northwest. And in some cases, we'll stay in a and b the night before just to come and join us. And there'll always be a theme of the walk. And, you know, in lots of cases, these people have never met each other. They're coming together just because of their shared interest in, in being outdoors uh, and perhaps because they've seen some of the, the photos or videos on LinkedIn. And uh, they put their boots on, they put their bags on and off they go. And, you know, the, the only expectation of the group is that people have the, the kit that keeps them safe, i.e. a waterproof jacket and a set of boots and they're capable of having good quality conversation. And, you know, my advice to anybody that, wants to feel a deep sense of connection to anybody in their lives, whether that's personal or professional, and particularly for those in business that are leaders. You know, it's, it's about taking the time to, to really understand and, and not just what's been spoken, but what feelings have been transmitted through someone's communication. And uh, and I think that's what the, the, the real secret source here is, is, is making people, giving people a space, allowing them to feel safe, and also validating people's feelings, recognizing what perhaps somebody is saying that maybe they're not communicating verbally uh, and just holding the space for them without trying to fix or judge. 
listening's important, isn't it? And and in in that, how how have you developed your listening skills over the years? Because I'm guessing you you must have got very perceptive in in being able to uh, coach and and develop and lead people. Yeah, in most cases, we're listening to respond, and uh, the the way that the brain is is wired is that we can we will fill in the gaps. So when someone's speaking, our brain is always kind of preparing an answer or a response. So because we're listening to respond and, and sometimes to articulate our our worth or our experience or our intelligence, you know, in many cases we're not truly listening to what the person's saying. And uh, I think that's the, the key to this is actually letting the person really talk and not looking to, to jump into any of those spaces of silence and to fill them with our own words, but just letting the person really speak. Uh, and, and sometimes just leaving that silence enables somebody to kind of go a level deeper, perhaps behind the, 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 the cerebral thoughts and maybe to share some of their emotions uh, and, and that's how people really connect it's that sharing of intimacy uh, and that creation of safety that allows people to to connect uh, and to lead effectively and in in the workplace in business it feels like it's getting better these days but how how do you sort of view that what you've just described in in you know business at the moment is it moving in the right direction i think it is i think it's been driven by some other things now that we're, we're, we're being taught or told uh, culturally around you know this great resignation concept or quiet quitting you know i think a lot of these uh, reason the things that these are happening for is because people don't feel valued in the workplace uh, and ultimately i think a leader's ability to lead others is essentially based on their ability to lead themselves and i think that when people are looking at the people that are leading them, you know, nowadays there's a requirement for those leaders to be to be authentic uh, and to be congruent in their actions. If a leader's saying one thing but doing the other, uh, inevitably, consciously or subconsciously, there's going to be, you know, perhaps someone's going to think that this person perhaps isn't isn't capable of doing what they're asking me to do, and uh, and that's why I really, you know, any of the leaders that I work with, uh, I I really I really invite them to think about what it's like to be led by them. And to to sometimes hold that mirror up because if leaders are always kind of they've optimized their lives and their diaries to make sure that their mental tabs are always open, you know, they're, they're never where their feet are. And the brain is probably so busy trying to solve problems to meet deadlines and kind of overcome challenges that they're always just kind of in mission mode is the phrase that I use. They're always just kind of pointing and telling and expecting. And, and, and when that's happening for a period of time, okay, it's okay, perhaps in crisis leadership, but for most part, leadership, it's 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 about the connection between the people. And in many cases, you know, a business is only as good as its people. And if its people are kind of pushed to the point of burnout or breakdown, or they're not encouraged to make time for their mental or physical or emotional wellness, essentially that business is going to be built on, on, on weak foundations. Do you ever sort of include running in, in your coaching and in, in your sort of the work that you're doing? Is, is uh, and, and do the people that you work with, is is running something they you know they do anyway i'm just kind of interested to see where uh, fitness and health and particularly running fits in in with that side of things yeah so one of the better men values is challenge uh, and what i encourage all my clients to do regardless of their start state is to come up with some kind of external challenge uh, and for some people you know that could be as simple as just couch to 5k maybe they've just you know overworked and underlived for a period of time or coming from a place of poor physical health uh, and for them that is a significant challenge for others i'm working for guy at the moment he'll be on the start line of the mds next year and uh, uh, as part of his runway to get him back to full fitness to go out to the desert um, i actually joined him a few weeks ago and we ran a, a a gower an ultra on the gower it was kind of 34 miles along some of the best scenery in wales and uh, 
uh, it's important, you know, if if we don't have a challenge, you know, then there's nothing necessarily to call us forward to give us that enthusiasm and to perhaps choose choose things that are important to us over over the complexities and challenges of modern day work and uh, particularly, you know, digital media. You know, as uh, when I was writing my book, I came across a, a 2012 study that suggested that sitting is the new smoking, and in many cases, it's more dangerous for for our for our health and our well being than it actually would be to, to smoke cigarettes. So having a challenge in one's life is particularly important. And in many cases, for the guys that I work with, running running is a, is a, is a good start point. For some of those people that can't run, maybe their, their knees won't allow them to or they don't have the confidence to, uh, you know, I, I really do invite them to come along on Men of Mountains because it's not necessarily about the fitness. It's more about the connection and conversation. Makes total sense. Uh, Dan, running aside, can you name a, a business tool, an app, uh, something that you couldn't do without in your business? Oof. Uh, there's an app that I use and uh, it helps me with my, my my personal discipline and it's called Streaks. It's available on both uh, iPhone and uh, Android and it's, it's a great way to kind of track very easily the things that you say are important to you and uh you know in there for me is uh it's definitely exercise there's quality time with my children there's the the no tech tuesdays uh, and there's also um for a period of my life i used to kind of call back to my family which are in the northwest uh, of england Uh, i call them when i was in the car or perhaps trying to multitask uh, and now i make a concerted effort to call them via via video call to make sure that i'm kind of in the room with them or on the screen Mm -hmm. so uh the the app is called streaks it's a great tool for keeping one accountable and committing to streaks where we can really leverage the, the importance of that compound effect. Streaks. Okay. Sounds great. Uh, and business aside, uh, what's your favorite bit of running kit or accessory that you can't do without when you're up on those hills on the Gallup Peninsula? What what do you have with you? It's got to be my head torch, uh, Fenix head torch. Uh, I did a lot of research when I was getting ready for the, for the, for the, the Beacons Ultra and uh uh, I kind of have got a, a head torch that I, I don't know quite what the alum uh, the alum levels are, but uh, it, it's enough to, to to really illuminate any track, uh, regardless of uh, the, the, the the even the, the the wee hours of the morning or whether the sort of darkness of the woods. I mean, it's bloody brilliant. It's a Fenix head torch, and uh, yeah, the batteries are changeable, so you can carry a spare one if you think you're going to need it. And um, yeah, and sometimes I have cars flashing me because they think that the, <laughs> that perhaps there's someone's coming towards them on full beam. That's a strong torch. That's uh, that's good. Uh, we've talked a lot about um, uh, being open and speaking to people throughout this this conversation. Yeah. Uh, just to wrap up, if there are any you know particularly men listening to this that this conversation has resonated with them and and they're feeling like actually I need to speak to somebody. I've got stuff that uh, you know I need to get out. What 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 would you say to them? I'd encourage them to do so. You know, sometimes it's a case of getting out of our own way, recognizing that the man that we want to be is is inside all of us. But sometimes because of the constraints of perhaps um, societal success, you know, that we can find ourselves in places that we we're just not enjoying the life that we've created. And I think that in those cases, it's it's not just important for ourselves, but it's also important for our loved ones to uh, to, to have a conversation. Uh, and whether somebody seeks counselling or therapy or coaching, you know, there's a difference between all three of them. Uh, I feel that just having a conversation with somebody is the best place to start. And final question, Dan, what advice would you give to anybody who's in a business or a leadership role listening to this and they're considering getting more active and thinking about taking up running? Lower your bar of expectation. Just put your trainers on, put your shoes on and get outside. You know, um, 
the only workout you regret is, is probably the one that you didn't do. And uh, I can assure anybody that kind of does that, just puts their shoes on and gets outdoors, regardless of the weather or the time of the morning or the evening, that the chances are when you get back, you'll feel better for what you've done, as opposed to perhaps sitting on the settee and scrolling or watching Netflix. Dan, it's been awesome to catch up. It's been inspiring. Um, we'll put all the details uh, of your book and uh, you know your website in the show notes. But if people do want to get hold of you and they're listening to this now, what's the best way to contact you or find out more about Better Man? Yeah, my website, www.better-men.uk better-men.uk. Uh, there's a range of resources on there. People can also access my book uh, for just postage, which is three pounds. Um, modern day paperbacks now are priced at 13.99 and 65% of that goes to Amazon, which uh, and uh, 20% will go to my publishers so people can get it from my website just at cost um, of postage. So that's the best place to get my book. And uh, if people are on a social media platform, my primary channel is LinkedIn. Uh, I'm pretty prolific on there and, and I post content that is either thought provoking or useful. So uh, it'd be great to hear or from any of your listeners that have kind of my message has resonated with. Fantastic. Dan, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been, as I say, wonderful and inspiring to catch up and uh, all the best with Better Man and everything that's going on. Thank you, Hans. Thanks to Dan Stanley for his openness, honesty and wisdom on this week's Run the Business, a powerful story. Obviously relevant to men, but I think relevant to anybody who might be questioning what success in life looks like. I might look successful on paper, but am I genuinely happy? Dan talked about the blueprint for masculinity evolving. And I guess the flip side, which we didn't cover, is how femininity is also evolving. And as we attempt to move towards a more fair, equal and inclusive society, how these different perspectives come together. Um, it's an important part of a whole jigsaw, if that's the right way to, to describe it. Thinking specifically about leadership and running, some of the things that stuck out, uh, consistency beats intensity. Don't get bored with the basics. We hear that a lot in different ways on these conversations. Running consistently helps you create positive habits to transfer into other areas of your life. Dan's philosophy of all or something as opposed to all or nothing, thought that was great. Uh, you don't have to do it big every time you do it. Just keep doing something. And whether that's getting out running or practicing good leadership habits, uh, it is about the consistency there as well, isn't it? He also talked about uh, you can't lead others unless you can lead yourself, which is a great point. How often do we hold a mirror up to our own performance and review that before casting judgment on others? Um, and Dan also talked about authentic leadership. You can't stay in, as Dan says, mission mode all the time. Uh, we have to make time for mental, physical and emotional wellness. And whether that's us as individuals or the people that we're working with as well. The quote to finish today, well, I'm going to repeat the quote from Muhammad Ali that Dan mentioned during the interview, because as a 50-year-old uh, man, it resonated with me. Uh, and that quote was, the man who views the world at 50, the same as he did at 20, has wasted 30 years of his life. I'm Anthony Gay, and until next time, keep running and keep chasing your goals.